Hello, all you beautiful pie charmers. This is Early Access Pie Charm with your host, Nafulizla. Ten years ago, in the month of October, Pie Charm 1.0 was released. So we here on the Pie Charm team decided that we should do an episode on how Pie Charm came to be. This episode is going to be a little longer than our others. So sit back. Relax and enjoy. My first project at JetBrains was something called Omea, which uh, which was an information uh, aggregator, information management tool built in uh, C# and uh, uh, .NET. This is Dmitry Jemerov. He's one of the earliest employees here at JetBrains, and everybody here affectionately calls him Dima. So it was like doing desktop search before Google Desktop existed. It was doing email search before Google Tools to search for email were something that everyone used as a matter of course. And it also do, did RSS and some other stuff. So way back when, this was a very ambitious project. But unfortunately, things did not go the way Dima wanted them to go. And that's why he decided to change course and join the IntelliJ team. Yeah, so I wanted to join the idea team and I thought that it might be better if like, I had something to show for myself, like why should they hire me? This wasn't actually necessary by any means. They would have let me join the team in any case, but I thought just I wasn't so sure of myself, I guess, and I thought that it would be nice to present something as my like entrance test. And at that time, uh, IntelliJ was gaining support for custom language plugins. So it was stopping to be just a Java ID and starting to be this polyglot environment that it morphed into later. Just for a little context here, Dima is a towering figure inside of JetBrains, both figuratively and literally. And it's so interesting to see that even someone like him doubts himself sometimes. And the first plugin that was, uh, first language plugin that was built was JavaScript, and it was built by Maxim Shapirov. Yeah, Maxim Shapirov, yeah, who is now the CEO who is now the CEO of the company, yes. And I thought that it would be really cool to play with the, with the API and try to build something on top of it. And so I decided essentially to start working on the Python plugin. So I was working at, on Omea as my day job and in the evenings I started hacking on the, on the Python plugin. That's actually, that went uh, rather well. So of course there was not any issue with me joining the IntelliJ team and uh, yeah, I released the Python plugin to the plugin manager as well. And for like for the first for the first time, my focus on IntelliJ in IntelliJ work was not really related to Python. Some of the things I was involved in were the UI designer and uh, uh, the version control integration and some of the refactoring tools and a bunch of stuff in other places. At that time, we had IntelliJ and ReSharper. Back in the day, IntelliJ and ReSharper were really the two biggest things that JetBrains had going for it. Now, because the way the IntelliJ platform is built, you can take that code base and repurpose it to a language-specific IDE. Yeah, so, and uh, at some point, we started having conversations with Sergei Dmitriev and with Max Shafirov and with other people about being able to target other languages more effectively with uh, with our tools. And uh, like the hot language back at the day, like in 2006 or 2007 was, uh, was Ruby and Ruby on, uh, Ruby on Rails was uh, like the hotness. 
And uh, many people who who started doing Ruby on Rails, they specifically said that they hated Java, they hated everything to do with Java, and they li- they wanted to use use something completely different. And of course, uh, coming then coming to those people and telling them to consider using a Java IDE would be a complete non-starter. So even if that IDE had excellent support for Ruby, it was still a Java IDE, and they hated everything with, with the word Java on it. So we thought that maybe it would be cool to try to build out a product line so that we would have dedicated products for people using each of the languages, uh, starting from the same code base. Actually, the first IDE that we built uh, was uh, was RubyMine, uh, uh, the first IDE that we built as a dedicated product. And we had a team working on, Ruby, on the Ruby plugin back at the time. So initially, it was uh, led by Mike Kaisarski, who left JetBrains soon afterwards. And so I... This, I, so it was. We, we agreed that I would like take charge of that team and uh, try to build the Ruby ID first. And so we, I, and so we did all the changes in the platform that were needed to to decouple Java from the like all the language stuff, and uh, to, and so to build essentially an ID on the same platform that would not be hundred percent related to Java. And while working all of that, I still I still remembered about my Python plugin and the, my love for Python as a language. But unfortunately, at that, that time, it was hard for, for us to find people to work on that. And uh, <clears throat> well, right now. Well, right now we have a we have a great HR department that can find us people to work on all the tools that we have. But back at back then, JetBrains was much less known as an employer, and uh, we didn't have such an effective system of attracting and hiring people. So it was just basically it was much harder. And so f- uh, for a long time, we just like the, the main thing that prevented the release of the Python ID was just the lack of people. So I uh, invited one of my someone I knew online to work with me on that, uh, Dmitry Chirasov, and uh, Dmitry Trofimov joined the team soon afterwards. I don't actually remember the story of like who invited him. I think it was Andrei Ivanov, but I'm not completely sure. And for a long time, the big stumbling block was uh, the debugger. And in the end, the, the initial version of the debugger was created by Roman Shevchenko, who uh, who had who previously had worked on our business applications, so on the, our sales support systems. Uh, yeah, so slowly we kind of built up some kind of a team, and uh, and so this allowed us to basically release the first version of the ID. Uh, yes, indeed, it was not that much changing; it was mostly adding things. So we had to. Uh, build a way to essentially discover types and represent types of things that are built in a dynamic language, even though even, even though those types are not spe- uh, present explicitly in the code. So we had to find a way to infer them, to analyze the code and understand what types are there. And uh, back, at, back at that time, this was like the, all these... All this development was just something that we did internally, and later we contributed to the 
to the typing project in Python itself. So there, uh, the PEP about adding the type annotations to Python has Andrei Vlasovsky, a PyCharm team member, as one of the contributors. So now, with a clear mandate to create a Python IDE, Dima and the team started to brainstorm about what features needed to be there. So we actually were confident about our core feature set, so like language support and uh, and just like what we had in that area was quite far ahead of the market at that at that time, and so we were confident that if we just shipped that, it would be quite successful. So obviously we had to have a debugger. Obviously we had to have like version control integration. And uh, quite soon after, uh, quite quite early in the beginning, we also started adding support for web frameworks. Obviously, Django was the big thing, but we also support. We also had some support for uh, for Google App Engine. With PyCharm's first release, the creator of the Python programming language, Guido von Rossum, even did a blog post about it. It was the first time that the Python world started to experience the same quality of tooling that the Java world had taken for granted. Now, PyCharm didn't always have a community edition to go along with its professional edition. Initially, there was only one version of PyCharm, and that was the pro version. However, soon enough, the team realized that not having a free offering meant that a lot of people who wanted to use the tool to learn the language could not. So the story behind the PyCharm community edition is actually quite interesting. So uh, we had uh, uh, so IntelliJ community edition was released back in two thousand nine, and it was quite a big success for uh, for us as a company. So we expected uh, we had expected some drop in sales because there would be a free edition now, and just people would uh, just switch to the free edition. But uh, but yeah, what we got as a, as a result was uh, was a, a jump in the sales of the Ultimate Edition and uh, quite a bit of a growth for, and of course, a lot of new downloads for the Community, community Edition as well. And the story of PyCharm Community Edition dates back to, to PyCon 2013 uh, in the US. I don't remember where, where exactly it was, but yeah, we, we had a booth there and... Uh, Basically, yeah, so we were standing talking to customers, like asking for like they demoing the product to some people. And at some point, like a really young girl came to the booth and started asking questions. She was maybe, I don't know, 13 or 14. And it was clear that she knew what she was talking about. She really was trying to understand what kind of tool we were offering. And she was really curious what it could do for her. Uh, but... Uh, I just couldn't bear myself to tell her that actually she would need to pay us $100 to use all of this goodness that I was just demoing. And then basically her father came by to the booth and stopped and asked, stopped by to ask her if she ate, ate something before that. And uh, like this, basically this made it clear for me that it would be really great if we uh, had the possibility to, to offer something, uh, for a version of Punch-Up for free. And we already had the some of the foundation laid with the uh, with IntelliJ Community Edition, and so we saw that it was possible, and so yeah, we decided that we should, can just go ahead and do it. And so with PyCharm 3.0, we actually released both the Community and the Professional Edition. And since that time, PyCharm Community has has had like a few million users and has had quite a big success. 
And that, folks, is how PyCharm and PyCharm Community Edition came to be. It started off as a plugin for IntelliJ. It broke off into its own IDE. And then eventually, because we wanted to follow the example of IntelliJ Community, we decided to release PyCharm Community as well. Thank you very much for listening. We tried to do a different episode this time because we wanted to mark a decade of being partners in crime for so many Python developers out there. So we hope you liked it and see you in the next one. If you liked this podcast, please share it with your friends. And if you have any questions, please ask on Twitter. 